It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hmm? Ah! Did you get the mayonnaise? Well, here's the thing. They didn't have Dukes. And I really like Dukes, but they didn't have it. Which is a bummer. So... I don't know. Think this will work? I mean, technically it isn't actually mayonnaise, but... Yeah. Technically, I don't think this is mayonnaise. But close, right? What do you think? Should we give it a shot? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Let's give it a shot. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Rima. And I'm David. And this is Better Call Saul cast episode 12. This no, week 11. We're... It's episode 11. <laughs> <Is> it 11? <laughs> we're, off, we're off to a roaring start. We went off. <laughs> we're off. We're because the first episode here. covered the first two. <laughs> People would rather I just don't even mention that. Forget I said that. Go ahead, Rima. <laughs> This week, we're covering Better Call Saul, Season 6, Episode 12, Waterworks. (laughs) It's a very true title, in my opinion. I do love that they went back to the title puns, which were uh, from the beginning of the year. It's a little... uh, I feel like Waterworks is a little bit derogatory. Oh, there she goes with the Waterworks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but uh i don't think that's the way uh, vince gilligan meant it i think he just thought it was too clever because she works at a sprinkler shop <laughs> whatever it is anyway um you called it david it was mostly a kim episode i'm glad you were right mm-hmm. about that yeah i took a little victory lap or tried to while karen and i were watching it and she was like yeah yeah you're really smart shut up so we can watch this <laughs> i know i know <laughs> yes we know yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, let's get into it. Better Call Saul Season 6, Episode 12, the penultimate episode of the series, Waterworks. What did you think in general, David? Uh, I thought it was amazing. Um, A great episode, sort of power-packed with events, happenings, emotions, um, you know, as this show does so well. And I, I know we'll get into talking about all the details of this, but I, I also thought it was one of the most emotionally devastating episodes they've done. Mm-hmm. It was hard to watch. That's saying Absolutely. something. Yeah, what about you, Rima? Uh, I mean, ex- exactly what David said. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, it was, I, I loved it. It was so well done, beautifully written, beautifully acted. Um, so many great things that I know that we're going to talk about. Uh, but definitely a gut punch. I was just very sad. Like I'm still sad after having just watched it. Just um, all the emotions um, in in this episode definitely churned up a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, Waterworks is definitely an appropriate title, <laughs> at least on my end. I thought it was very good. It. I I don't know if they're inspired by the black and white, but it, it feels even more artistically done than usual these episodes it feels like i'm watching a small movie uh, like an independent movie like the part where kim's crying and you just see this hand to comfort her that Mm -hmm. just felt very independent filmy and uh and or when he's in the guy's house the music and just the way it's done it's just so artful and i and i freaking love it and and i love the exploration of these uncomfortable emotions and done so well and even though it's feeling really sad and tragic and i i don't know if i've mentioned this david you said a couple of times that for breaking bad you thought it would have been better if he just like ended when he was out in the uh, wilderness or whatever with cancer there was a part of me that felt like that too that that would have been a more fitting end for the show even though it was a downer and they kind of gave it a little upbeat moment at the end that felt like they cheesed out a little bit but i also a part of me like oh good i got to feel a little good there so that was good um but i think maybe it would have been artistically better to end it on a more sour note for for walt for better call saul i do think i still think a more hopeful ending could fit this show and i wish that jim jimmy would just gain a little bit of self-awareness around his issues instead of just foolishly doubling down on his flaws and um so maybe we're at the darkest before the dawn here i don't know (laughs) maybe not. yeah i have felt that breaking bad um that walt did not deserve to be the heroic redemption at the end um i don't think the door is quite closed on jimmy slash saul with one episode to go it's close no but um but he, he doesn't feel quite as unredeemable as walt he doesn't, but this final episode could just be a big door slam. You never know. <laughs> it could. <laughs> All right. Let's, well, I want to say a happy belated birthday to you, David. Time oh, to sing, thanks. everyone. No, just kidding. Uh, oh, <laughs> happy belated birthday. Just don't do that. We'll just say happy birthday, but how about you go first this week? <laughs> uh, what a birthday present that is. I have to say there's a great birthday cake in our house, only half of which was eaten, so... I know I have oh, yeah. something to look forward to when we're done here tonight. Nice. Uh, okay. So um, I think I'll just start us on the headline, um, which is Kim six years later. 
Uh, and we, I remember we were speculating last week about the exact timeline. We knew it was some period of years, but now it's been defined for us uh, as six years. Which, by the way, watching a little of uh, Talking Saul after the show, Bob Odenkirk apparently thought it was a year and a half. <laughs> and uh, Vince Gilligan said, it, <laughs> like, it was what? six years. <laughs> wow. But so, you know, we did get the Kim catch-up episode. And although we really only get it in the present day of the most forward timeline, we don't get to see the whole six years of her, I, I think we can understand very well where it went because we know having seen the divorce scene that she was moving directly to florida she didn't like take a winding journey there she went from albuquerque to florida and clearly Uh, those six years were boring as hell so we probably wouldn't (laughs) want to see too much of it yeah i guess but um but yeah we we find her as a um I mean, however you want to put it, as like a Stepford wife, a zombie, um, it's almost like she had a lobotomy. Um, it, at first, it almost was like, is that her? Uh, with the wig and, you know, she looks a little different, but it's the voice that's unmistakable. Mm-hmm. Um, we we kind of find her married to a moron. And um, there was some great stuff in that first scene. Uh, with him and her basically just about how insipid and uninteresting their lives are. She's cooking food for a, um, it's a tailgate party. They're going to watch uh, Florida State football, which is something you can imagine Kim has exactly zero interest in or would have before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're trying to make the hors d'oeuvres in exactly the right color. She's trying to decide whether, you know, these things tuna salad can be made without real mayonnaise with miracle whip and agonizing over these decisions yes and just this total nonsense there's a great scene during this barbecue or whatever it is where her um the man she's with and the guys he's with are having this ongoing argument about whether epoxy darkens (laughs) and uh he says, I've been having this argument five days a week. Now I'm Sweden, Switzerland. Um, so <laughs> you can't even get that right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the level we're dealing with. He says, um, hey, they open up a new outback in Satellite Beach. Want to go Friday? <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much different that is than the other, all the other outbacks. Probably yeah. not at all. <laughs> I, I felt like this whole part of the show was a little bit about Kim and a little bit of commentary on American society. But yeah. that's for another day. Well, Vince Gilligan has said, has hinted in these recent podcasts that, you know, well, Kim may have died, but there may also be a fate worse than death. And now we know what he means by that. It's this. And uh, he also right. s- said, though, he made sure to say on this most recent one, you know, this isn't a commentary on anyone who works for a sprinkler company or anything like that. He said, America runs on these businesses and people doing these jobs and we need them. But the thing with Kim is that she is so skilled as a lawyer and can help people and she's not doing it. And so that's the tragedy in all of this. So he's trying to save face, I think, for listeners who work these boring jobs, you know, and he's right, too. But um, I think he really was trying to make what maybe he would consider his own personal hell. Well, right. And it's also all exaggerated a little yeah. bit, you know, almost like a Coen Brothers movie. Right. It felt like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and and I don't even want to get into, um, 
Kim and Albuquerque, which I think is a separate whole point, but just like what mm-hmm. she has become. So there were some great details uh, that were really sort of funny and enjoyable in the better call Saul style, like all the details that they put around her in this um, sort of drudgery job, which is so far below her talents. I, I loved the slogan of the company, watering your world since 1978, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't exactly even that long of a history. Um, what Kim is doing when Saul calls her is she's typing up a new web page for uh, Palm Coast Sprinkler's new line of Flow Chief the flow chief family of products, which quote unquote heralds an exciting new chapter in PEX tubing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and I think you, I think we finally get the idea of why this is in black and white, this future world. Um, part of it is maybe just artistic style, but I, I think they really are bringing home that their world is colorless now. Yeah. All of the rich, um, rich pageantry they enjoyed in their lives in Albuquerque in various ways have become colorless, boring, and just so far below their personalities and talents. And that she has matched him in that. And and when they were together, they had a lot of this spark of excitement and joy about the things that they were doing. And that's just completely gone for both of them now. Agreed. Um, so the only real contrast that comes into this, and this sparks the other half of the story with her, the Albuquerque half, is the call that we saw but couldn't hear last week. Um, and, you know, what that tells us about Kim, which we could have maybe guessed anyway, but it makes explicit that uh, the trauma that she experienced in Howard's death and that the responsibility and guilt she feels for it have really turned her into a shell of the person she was before. Mm-hmm. Um, she's going through the motions and she sort of has this life that she's constructed in Florida, but the heart of her is not there anymore. Uh, and I think Saul's inability to connect with any real part of her in the call is what we saw set him off. Yeah. In the he, last week, he's even he's saying, uh, oh, she said something real halfway through the call. And he said something like, OK, you're alive. Like, come on. Right. Where are you there? Where are you? Yeah. He said, show me you have a pulse. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah, yeah. even yell yeah. at me or he's trying to right. push your buttons. Yeah. He senses right. that she's just muted. Yeah. So I was very interested to see where they went with how she has been in the time that has gone by. And I was a little surprised because um you know she just has such force of intellect and personality and is so talented and vibrant in everything we've seen up until now uh it's hard to accept her as this but i i think the story does bear it out i think it's the character development rings true but it's just heartbreaking to Mm -hmm. see I mean, it just breaks your heart to see her as that person i mean there was a part of me that I, i was like is it really believable that she would have swung this far? And I started, I think one of the things with Better Call Saul versus other TV is we're used to seeing violence in other TV and we get desensitized to it. And also the characters don't really act around it the way that normal people actually would. And so I'm like, okay, what if I was doing something 
that I knew was probably not a great idea, but I just doubled down on it anyway, which we've all been known to do, right? On occasion. And then someone died because of it in my own life, you know, a friend of mine or something. I could totally see myself going, oh, fuck. I, 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 what did I do? How did that happen? I can't ever have anything like that happen again. Suddenly you don't trust yourself. You're second guessing everything, you know? So I don't know. I, maybe I'm just trying to make it make sense. I like the story, but there was that part of me that's like, wow, really? (laughs) Yeah. I, I do respect, um, exactly what you said. So the story choice whether it is 100% believable or not, I think you can argue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it is a courageous choice to portray somebody who had this terrible violence come into their life and who never recovered from it's it. It's a trauma, like you said. Yeah, and who it just co- has colored her life or un- mm-hmm. decolored her life ever since. And also, I think she and Jimmy are kind of up. Uh, they were together, simpatico, and then this trauma happened, and they went opposite directions, and in their response to it. And I heard this thing once that I I think is really wise, and it's like how we respond to adversity in our lives. There's like three general ways. You know, this is just sort of a theory to put out there. You can make of it what you will, but we can either uh, kind of collapse around it and shrink away from it. Uh, you know, just hide, or you can puff yourself up and posture and defend and armor up, you know, but in both of those cases, you're not really present, you know, and then third way is just to sort of face it openly and take responsibility for what part of it is yours. And that can be the scariest because you have to be vulnerable and, and open and present. And so if that's true, I think Kim has shrunk away and, uh, and Jimmy has is sort of posturing and armoring up, up and everything. And so that's why I'd like to see both of them in this final episode sort of drop that and just get real around it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and what um, we have to remember about the timeline is that the six years for Kim in Florida, where she's turned into this automaton, most of that time was full Saul in Albuquerque. Yeah. Right, so the the Gene Takovic is only a very short, recent That's right. ne- necessary development. But you're right; they've gone exactly in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Rima, what's your first point about this episode? Well, it actually uh, matches David's very well. Um, the title of my point is actually like what you were just saying there, Jason. That um, this this is what they meant them being the showrunners um, by a fate worse than death. Uh, Cause <laughs> you know, so some, I, I wasn't worried so much about Kim dying. I know there was a lot of folks out there worried that Kim um, might end up dead or whatever, but to me, this, this might've been kind of worse. Um, you know, Kim has decided to put herself, what I see as the self-imposed punishment for her part and her role in everything that happened with Howard and uh, it's like she's put herself, I thought of it as like permanent doc review uh, when she was uh, being punished mm. at HHM. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. because that's what it reminded me of when she was at the computer. And then when she was, um, I don't know exactly what she was doing, but she was on the phone with somebody and she's talking about the parts and trying to get some information. It just seemed like like this was all just this terribly boring doc review kind of process yeah. um, that she was going Mundane, through. Mundane, monotonous. And when she was yeah. making copies, it reminded me of her and Jimmy in the in the mail room at HHM too. Yeah. I think you're exactly right, Rima. So 
um, as I said, maybe triggered by trauma, but I think as you said, it's a life self-imposed life sentence for her. I mean, I, I think that she is thinking that this is the best life that she deserves. You know, she didn't feel worthy of being a lawyer anymore, of serving, uh, you know, the um, uh, underrepresented, as she was doing before. She didn't feel worthy to be a, a, um, a representative of the court anymore, and that this is what she's living is the best that she deserves. The, the, the life of debating Miracle Whip versus Mayo and mediocre sex, it, it's, it's terrible, the self-inflicted punishment that she's put herself in. Um, mediocre being kind <laughs> i'm being extremely <laughs> generous <laughs> with yep 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 yep, yep. yep. i yep. It, that just <laughs> so funny and then <laughs> then uh, just well, like a, a scene and a half later she's like oh the uh the potato salad worked out pretty good huh and he goes yep <laughs> <laughs> same response it's like it's literally a life she would have considered hell absolutely on. absolutely yeah. it 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 was all terrible and she's she's put herself in a position and in, in in her life and her job and the people that she surrounded herself with that she doesn't have to make a decision anymore because i don't think that she trusts her decision making the decision making that she um played a part in in albuquerque when you know her and jimmy uh, we're going through this whole scheme. Uh, you know, she was the big push behind so much of that and the the bigger decision maker. And I think that what's happened has she doesn't tr- like she can't even make a decision on mayo versus Miracle Whip, uh, vanilla ice cream versus strawberry. You know, every time someone asks her to make a decision, yeah. she's like, hmm, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, maybe or I don't know. They're both good. You know, like she cannot make a decision. And I just think she doesn't trust herself. And it's. <laughs> vanilla versus strawberry come on like i'd be like how about some i don't know like milk almond fudge <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're both great <laughs> yeah so it, it it was so sad watching kim in this life and it just it was sad it was depressing you said it really well david you know calling it colorless and how it, it's very much you know when we watch gene because i mean we know saul as a as a larger than life character, very colorful and vibrant and very loud and boisterous. Uh, and then, you know, the life Jimmy had um, as well. And seeing him as Gene was very, I remember the first time we saw Gene, right? And Better Call Saul. And it was like, whoa, you know, that was, that was, um, you know, at least for me, a little unsettling and very different. Um, and to see how boring and mundane his life was there at Cinnabon and in Nebraska and his day-to-day monotonous life and then we see the same thing with kim i mean all the life has just been sucked out of her and i was so sad it's like they 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 broke my kimmy mm-hmm. and it's like it, it reminded me of when she, that flashback scene that we had when kim was young and she, her mother was there at the store when she got caught stealing and you know she never got punished for that her mother didn't punish her and it's almost like because she never got that punishment in her life, she's kind of inflicting that on herself. Um, she's punishing herself. It's like, I I save me, you don't save me, I punish myself, you don't punish me, is this kind of mm-hmm. thing that I was kind of getting uh, from that. But it was just, you know, I thought I found it kind of disturbing where she is now living this life where she doesn't have to make any calls or a choice in anything. I just, I thought it was kind of sad. That's where she's kind of ended up, and her life has gotten destroyed. I don't know if she'll 
come out of it. Yeah, I just can't. I don't see them leaving her in this place. Um, I know we'll talk about her confessing to Cheryl, but the one point I'll bring up right now, since I feel like it fits into this conversation, is they made a point for her to say she doesn't think she's going to, or there's, it seemed like there's a pretty good chance she won't be prosecuted because there's no physical evidence and no witnesses. And I think the whole reason of bringing that up is to just kind of prepare us mentally for her not being prosecuted. I don't think they're going to turn around and have her go to jail after that. So um, I suspect that we won't just leave her there. And uh, what did you say? Stepford wives bill. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I could see him leave it open-ended though. Like, yeah, maybe. I mean, I just think if they were going to leave her there, then it would have been part of the final episode, but but maybe not. I mean, wait, how did this end with her? Uh, she was on the and then... bus back to at, at the airport. Oh, yeah. Maybe that could be it, huh? We might not even see her. I mean, her I don't know. I mean... Again. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, I'd love for that not That's to be the end. I would love for there to be a little bit more yeah. of a hopeful... I mean, the thought of Kim mm -hmm. getting back, um, you know, on a plane back to Florida, going back to that life, just... I hate that, and and it, mm. but it's just tragic. It's so sad. The reason why, if that they do leave her there, that it's okay with me, even though I'd rather they didn't, is because she did a bad thing, and uh, she there does deserve to be some consequences for that for her. Do you think she needs more consequences in the last six years? No, I don't. But I'm just saying, like. If they don't give her an upbeat ending, I could see it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know if her finally confessing and with the affidavit and going before the courts and, uh, you know, providing that to the, the prosecutor going in front of Cheryl um, and confessing. And uh, I don't know if that will be something that will help free her a little bit, that she won't feel like she has to go back to that life. Yeah, I, maybe that's why, maybe that's why she cried because I, I wasn't exactly clear on why she broke down crying in this moment unless she just cries all the time i don't think so i think the uh -uh. idea was that now she can i cry think it was six years because now it's done. i don't think she's yeah. processed it <laughs> i think that she just she went to florida and i think she might have done a little bit of compartmentalizing like she did with Saul or with Jimmy when she, when when they were together, yeah. like I said, uh, shrinking away from it. Kind yeah, of absolutely. I don't think it, she's maybe. truly faced it. She's just put herself in a self-imposed mm -hmm. punishment. I don't think she she's really dealt with it. I think this was six years of guilt mm -hmm. that she's carried around, and the idea of actually, you know, or that she's finally faced it, and it was probably like a weight lifted, probably catharsis yeah. yeah i didn't even think about that but yeah that like that middle way that i was talking about just facing it and being open I, maybe that's exactly what she did do and that's and, and i've also been saying jimmy just needs a good cry <laughs> and kim got hers <clears throat> this time so even though it's painful in the moment i think sometimes we need to process our emotions instead of <clears throat> find ways of not having to deal with them Mm-hmm. okay so my turn kim's new life so um, I'm glad they did this because over the years with this show, one of the biggest questions is what happens to Kim since she wasn't in Breaking Bad and now we get to know. So it's satisfying in that way. It was shocking how completely different she was 
uh, her signature blonde hair and ponytail gone, whole different clothes, whole different personality, pretty much demure with this bland guy. And she's bland too. And living this low stakes black and white kind of life. Um, and I think to me, I didn't feel as much punishing herself. Although yeah, probably, but to me, it was more about not trusting herself because yeah, everything she did with Howard was about following her gut and her instinct and now she doesn't want to do that anymore. She's putting herself in a position where she can cause no harm and she does not trust her own instincts. And um, it's like she was such the author of her own life before. And and like you said, I save me, you know, she's the one who decides what, what, what happens in her life. Now she's given up being the author of her life and instead shifted over to this standard traditional prescripted kind of American life where all the men are over in one area talking about epoxy and all the women are over talking about deviled eggs and stuff, you know, and even just her brushing her teeth by herself. It just reminded oh, me with Jimmy, they would have been hanging out together depressing. at the party and brushing. <laughs> yes. their teeth. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they always brush yes, their teeth together. So and, uh, I, I loved all how bland and boring. I mean, it was so bland and boring that, it, that it was funny. Although I did kind of like, the boyfriend's uh, tiger t-shirt. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's her boyfriend or her husband? I think it's boyfriend. He went home and she was sleeping alone. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, okay. And I didn't see a ring on either of them. So I, okay, that's what I thought. So, but they've swung to the opposite of extremes. Jimmy's with these wild women and he, she Kim's with this safe guy, both without substance. And also, just to break in, we saw their divorce um, in this episode in a you know a different part of the timeline, and I think you could make the leap that Kim's like, "I'm never doing that again." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Um, she's doing a puzzle at one point, which um, I like puzzles, but you know, it's kind of. You sit at home and you're not interacting with anybody. And from the angle and the black and whiteness, it just looked like white, like a white puzzle. <laughs> well, I feel, I, I don't know, uh, just a, a theory, but to me, it it did look like one solid color. Like, I don't know if it was white yeah. because it was black and white. And it was hard to tell. It looked light, right. a yeah. lighter color, um, which you can get like solid color puzzles. To me, that was like, Still a little piece of the Kim that we know, like the one thing that challenged her in her life was having to put together a puzzle that was all one color, which would be harder to put together. That's the one challenging thing in this life that she's living is putting together a a solid color puzzle. I mean, that's really building up the whole puzzle thing as being for people who like puzzles. They're going to love that you said that. (laughs) But to me, it just seemed like part of the whole blandness of all of it. It's not just a puzzle, but it's a colorless <laughs> puzzle. and uh, Possibly challenging, but it also seemed very meaningless. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just an activity Wrote. that makes time go by. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, talking the details of the deviled eggs with the other uh, neighborhood, neighborhood women and the colors, and that scene totally reminded me of WandaVision. Um, and it was interesting going on about the colors, garnet and gold, in this black and white setting. Yeah. We've talked through the rest of this, but it was, it was 
it was really like I at the beginning of the podcast I just I try to usually pick some really dramatic part of the episode to put in for the uh, clip, and this time I just put Kim and her boyfriend talking about Miracle Whip because it really typified the episode. <laughs> and Miracle Whip, by the way, is a poor substitute for mayonnaise, and I think that was a commentary on this guy too. <laughs> I mean, this was a, a story outcome we've been waiting for for literally years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the events of it may not be dramatic, but it was still dramatic. It was really, it was almost comedic and sad at the same time. It's, it's interesting when you can take something that on its face is really dull and boring and just make it. It look like you're watching a horror movie. No, Kim, no. <laughs> this show does deadpan funny better yeah. than almost any other. Yeah. right. Uh, Okay, next point, David. All right, so um, let's go on to the Albuquerque part of the episode uh, with Kim, where a lot of stuff happens in a short time. First of all, um, we see her at the Albuquerque airport, uh, which connects back to Breaking Bad, as as these last few episodes of Better Call Saul have, I think, in many ways. First time seeing Albuquerque in black and white. I think true. Um, and the airport itself is a call out to several different scenes, including, uh, it's where Skylar left Walt to go see his mom, but then actually Jesse picked him up in the RV so they could go cook four days out, for four right? days. Then they yeah. got, yeah, four days out, they got stuck in the desert. Um, also brings up the plane crash and that whole storyline oh, yeah. with the air traffic controller. Uh, So I think those things come back just by seeing her at at the airport. Uh, So now Kim goes to the courthouse, right? That brings up a ton of memories from Better Call Saul Mm -hmm. and some from Breaking Brad of everything that's gone on in the courthouse. I mean, the little kind of detail that this show does so well, she goes into the parking lot and we find out the parking attendant, which is Mike all of those years and so much of the plot revolved around that has been replaced by a machine. Yeah. Um, now that Mike is dead. (laughs) Yeah. Just, um, it's like, Oh, it's so sad and impersonal. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that plays into how everything has changed. Uh, she sees a young, like Kim Wexler in the making, Mm -hmm. Um, coaching her you can imagine has yeah has some emotions around that she looked pretty wistful right right what her her own life could have been if she had made a different choice and then um her confession of course to cheryl i think a couple things are going on here and i agree with you both i think on the one hand rima her self-punishment is coming to a head i mean the the just being a stepford wife isn't doing it for her and the um conversation she has with saul on the phone triggers the need to actually confront this i think so too yeah yeah and and she confronts it in a painful way one thing i wondered is i wonder if she had been thinking about it for a while wanting to confess to absolve her guilt do the right thing and everything but um you know, like he said, like Jimmy said, Mike's 
under in the ground gus is in the ground lalo hopefully is in the ground so that's to say you can confess and no one will come after you but then he also said and i i'm okay with it you know what are they going to do arrest me twice go for it so uh, that i sort of wondered if she had been thinking about it but one reason not to do it was that she would need his permission before she gave him up and now she has it could be but i i also think she's come to the come to the conclusion that um you know she has to do it because you could see her emotional reaction during that call yeah he she needed that nudge maybe yeah 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 and um and um the interesting thing in the confession that we learn while she is talking with cheryl and this scene is so painful um, as you remember how she just cavalierly lied to her face at the memorial mm-hmm. for Howard and how painful that was for Howard's wife. But um, we do learn that um, Kim still cares about Jimmy mm-hmm. because the one lie she still tells is, well, the only other witness is my um, ex-husband, assuming he's still alive. And that's a lie. She knows very well that he's still alive. Yeah. She's still protecting him. It it was painful, but I felt very, for me, really satisfying to see her. I mean, she didn't actually say the confession, but hand that paper over and to read what she wrote. And uh, I just feel like sometimes when the truth is spoken, it just feels good, even if it's a painful truth. I don't know if that's why, but I felt really satisfied during that scene. Yeah. And at least for Cheryl, as difficult as it is, at least she knows what happened. I mean, yeah. So there's something there. And then concluding with the scene on the bus, I I agree with you both. I think that was about catharsis and um, finally coming to grips with the real emotion of this terrible incident that she really has suppressed, at least in part, for a long time. I mean, part of becoming the robot she became in Florida is she's not feeling anything. Uh, it's a form of depression almost. Um, she's suppressing emotions, including the ones she can't confront about what happened and also probably about the breakup of her marriage to someone she did really care about. And uh, it finally all, you know, bubbles up out of her on the bus. And yeah. and whether or not we see her again in the last episode, I mean, I think they could go either way and follow her story out to another point um, or let it go there. Um, I, I, I think you can imagine, or I would like to imagine that she is not going to go back to the, uh, the not, the non-living life that she was living. I think, I think from this point forward, she's going to become actual Kim Wexler again, whatever form that takes, whatever happens. It might take a while. Yeah. Maybe not happen overnight, but. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. In fact, if they don't show her again, let's just assume that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there might <laughs> be consequences of her confession or not. Yeah. Um, right. You know, I don't know if she would become a lawyer again, but I, I can imagine mm-hmm. if she holds on to her freedom, starting to do something again that would help others or make some sort yeah. of Yeah, be able to trust herself again and yeah. do good in the world. It'd be good to see her back in. I know she's not technically a lawyer anymore, but it'd be good to see her do something still for people in, in some way, helping the underrepresented, underrepresented or, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, uh, you know, familiar with that profession and all the different opportunities, but it'd be good to see her um, 
you know, still kind of doing good for others. Because I think that's a good way to be a social worker. Yeah. Yeah. There's ways to help people and still kind of, you know, if she feels that she has to serve some sort of penance and continued punishment for what she's done, regardless of um, the uh, Albuquerque, um, you know, court decides to prosecute or press charges or whatever against her. There's there's ways that she can turn that around and at least still help people. And she can because that's what fulfilled her so much before she could get that fulfillment, but also help others at the same time. I think she'd mm-hmm. be better served. I think first thing she needs to do is dump that boyfriend when she gets back, find someone <laughs> slightly more exciting. Um, or at least it doesn't say yep like that dur- during. <laughs> it's a deal breaker. <laughs> There's plenty of people, plenty of ways to um, make an impact on the world yes. and on, on people. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to be a lawyer. Right. But yeah. It all starts with dumping that. Yeah. Guy. Let's start with that and then say, okay, now let's reevaluate my career choice and, and, and do something, something worthwhile. Not that what she's not doing is worthwhile. I agree. I think, you know, that not to dump on anyone who has, I, you know, I've worked, um, you know, office jobs that are very similar to that and it's, it's pretty spot on. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I love when somebody knocked on the cubicle and the other person just patched the passed the whole punch over without a word. Someone that moment. I'll say that so is so relatable. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, not to dump on any of that, but it's just it, it's like you said, it's so tragic to see someone like Kim who has such a brilliant legal mind. And, you know, that was her that and was, resourcefulness. Yeah, it's just it's so yeah. wasted, this talent that she has in this gift you know, that she has. So hopefully. And I mean, she's extremely competent and driven, smart, talented person. Um, One that occurred to me is if she does end up going to jail for what happened with Howard, she could be of a lot of help to to, fellow inmates um, inmates in jail. Mm -hmm. She could, she could give a lot of help with navigating, you know, the legal system and advice and yeah. Ugh. I wonder if lawyers who, yeah, go to prison do end up doing that. I bet you they do. Some of them. It's good protection, I bet, you know. Yeah, that'd be (laughs) a valuable skill. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
All right. Anything else? Oh, wait. Where was that your point, Rima? No, it's your turn, right? Uh, well, I'll just add um, a couple things to what David was talking about with Kim in Albuquerque. And you mentioned, you know, callbacks and, you know, with Breaking Bad. And one of those, when Kim gets to the airport, uh, she's kind of looking off to the side and the bus is coming uh, from from her left. There's the Alaska sign, which was mm. really interesting considering we had a cameo in, in, in this, you know, episode. Uh, and knowing that that's where he ended up. Yeah. And it's like his sort of uh, final destination and maybe where he can be self-actualized. So uh, maybe she'll head off that way. She's going to head to Alaska, maybe. Um, right. And it, it, gosh, seeing Kim back in Albuquerque and then seeing Albuquerque in black and white, it was just very interesting. And it was like a funeral and is what I kept. It was just sad and tragic when she gets there and she gets to the courthouse and she uh, gets to um, the gate for the parking garage and it's no longer manned by anyone. You know, that was where Mike worked all those years and where they saw, saw Mike like every day. And now it's unmanned. And that was just like the stark reminder of Oh yeah, you know we 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 kind of are seeing these results, the the aftermath of Breaking Bad. Once you know Mike and everyone was was gone, like Jimmy was talking about in the beginning of the episode to Kim. Then when Kim is walking into the courthouse um, and she's outside and she's passing by all the picnic tables and she kind of stops and looks, you know that's the tables where they would often show them out there having lunch and you'd see. You know, them sharing a table over yeah, there, with yeah. all the other lawyers and public defenders and everyone working, you know, having their day at the courthouse and they're all out there during their lunch break and they're on their phones and they're talking to each other. And um, then, like you mentioned, she sees that other uh, lawyer there in the hall spot on ponytail. I mean, it was I mean, if, if this woman had had blonde hair, it'd been perfect, um, like mirror image of Kim. Um, but it was sad to see Kim in that world and, and seeing this like defeated and deflated Kim. Uh, she has lost that confidence, that self-assuredness, even when getting in the in the elevator and she just kind of looks downward. I mean, that was not our Kim, you know, at all. And it was really hard to see her presented in this way and, and how broken she is. But I just thought it was interesting, those couple little call outs that they had and just kind of seeing this aftermath. It's so odd kind of seeing this post-breaking bad. Um, you know, world that, that we're in. Cause it's like, we don't know what to expect. We don't know what happens next. There's no plot armor for anyone. Um, so I just, but it feels a bit like David was saying last week, kind of like a ghost town. All mm -hmm. these star players are dead now. Oh, so. the, the glory days are gone. Like <laughs> yeah. Mike, these iconic Mike. characters, Mike is now a parking machine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the, the Saul character in town is this boring ex prosecutor mm -hmm. guy. It's like when you go to your high school in summer after senior year and it's just no one's there and you know your friends are all off of college. And yeah. It's yeah, over. Sad. Sad. But I wanted to kind of mention um, the, the cameo. Uh, and, and I thought I'd never see these two people ever share screen time. And that was Kim and Jesse. And what this little scene, it was a short scene couple minutes uh kim did not have a lot of dialogue in the scene it was mostly jesse um but you know they share some time outside 
uh, Kim gives him a cigarette while they're outside after she has just signed the divorce papers, um, leaving Saul's office. And I thought, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious to know what, what you guys thought, you know, as, um, Jesse's talking to her about, you know, Saul and, you know, is he, you know, I've told him, I just don't know if this is a good idea and who comes to a lawyer in this kind of place and these kind of ads. And he asks her, um, is he a good lawyer? You know, I, I, I think you're, or I've seen you around and I think you've, um, you're a good lawyer. I, you know, wanting to get her opinion. And she says, when I knew him, he was. And I thought it was kind of an interesting line because I I wonder if she hadn't said that because I feel like that this, that line is, you know, we were talking about last week when we had the um, Jesse and uh, Walt cameo and how they first decided to like, how did they pick Saul? Because I feel like Saul is an architect in Walt and this whole Heisenberg and everything that happened. He was this big player, but it feels like Kim moved them in that direction by telling Jesse Hmm. You know, when when I knew him, he was. So she's essentially telling right. him that he's a good lawyer. So that puts it in Jesse's mind, like this is the the guy that we need to see. So is that what you think put them in front? I guess. I mean, uh, well, we do know that he got Emilio yeah. off twice, yes. and that was going to happen no matter what Kim said yeah. because Emilio is already in there, right? That's true. I mean, I I think um yeah maybe a little, but I felt this scene was a bit gratuitous and superfluous and kind of a crowd pleaser but i'm part of the crowd and i was pleased and i liked it and (laughs) and it was interesting because these i have kind of thought that these characters almost serve the same function in their in their own shows they're like the sidekick kind of um that grew to be almost like a second lead you know and they also and they're the ones most impacted by the leads and they're the ones that you root for when you don't like the lead character anymore and also this scene um she's all done with Saul at least for now and Jesse's just getting started so there's that dichotomy they're sharing a cigarette which is another thing they have in common i mean i just think it was fun for them to share a scene together and Vince Gillian said by the way he feels guilty whenever he writes a smoking scene but it looks so cool he's like i'm sorry (laughs) but uh anyway i even though i don't maybe you guys will change my mind about this but i don't think it was a really necessary scene it was a little gratuitous i'm still glad that they did it because it was fun to see them together yeah i i think it was more probably i think you're right it was probably just more fun um and it wasn't really meant to drive the story forward or anything it was just um interesting for these two characters to share space and i i had that in my note too as far as like you know these are two people who wanted out of the game just you know jesse wanted out later on kim wanted out Mm -hmm. and at and at this point in their lives when they meet kim was on her way out while jesse was going in his way in stepping into you know into that world um so it was it was interesting i just love young jesse early jesse and uh I missed early Jesse as Jesse got more sort of traumatized and serious. And I, I liked the progression of his character too, but I liked when he was all twitchy and restless and he had the kooky dialogue. Like here he says, this guy Goodman, is he the real deal? Like lawyer wise? 
<laughs> just yeah. a little turn of phrase <laughs> like that. Or Cabo stole the baby Jesus. I mean, not like a real baby, you know, one of those things outside the church. <laughs> it's just funny to hear him. I wonder how Ray Seahorn felt doing this scene. She must have been like a fangirl. I would think she would be. Um, but and also his outfit with his he had this crazy jacket and baggy clothes and his cap, you know, just I miss that Jesse. So even though Aaron Paul's uh, a lot older, I still felt the vibe of it in that scene. And I very much enjoyed that. Yep. <laughs> and we learned that, yeah, Kim represented Combo at one point and, and g- for the Jesus thing and got him off. And uh, we see Saul's representing Emilio, which for people who don't know or remember he's crazy eight's cousin and um jesse and emilio were meth making partners before walt came along and emilio got busted actually by hank schrader while walt was on a ride along and that was all because crazy eight was an informant which we saw how that happened in the better call Saul series in earlier seasons so it all is so connected together and that was how walt and jesse met met yes. right i mean yeah. they, they met as teacher and student but that's how they reconnected yes. yeah when he comes out the window of he jumped the out of that window yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was, I think, and door. then emilio yeah. and crazy eight uh well it doesn't end so well for either one of them and this was interesting as we've revisited characters uh, in better call saul um the characters that were from breaking bad it's always been interesting to kind of see the characters that they kind of bring back and into the world and you mentioned crazy eight you know, the last we saw Emilio was like um, episode one, season one of Breaking Bad. And we, we oh, and yeah. this is now the penultimate. No, uh, I think he was in two. In the RV, maybe wriggling around in there. Yeah, he was in the um, scene where they blew up something in the RV to poison yeah. them. Was that in episode one or? I don't think that was in episode one, was it? I don't know. It was early. It was super early. Yeah, it was one of the first yeah. couple. Yeah, maybe it was. I'd maybe have to. Was, I'd so. have to go back. Yeah. I thought it was way back yeah. in episode one. You could be right. But, yeah. Um, either way, one it was just interesting yeah. to. S- I think I believe no, Rima was probably no. right. Yeah, I'm probably. Yeah. Probably not. My, some some <laughs> things really get mixed and meld a little bit in, in the Breaking Bad world um, yeah. for me sometimes. Uh, but it's just interesting. Also, the Breaking Bad episodes are so packed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That it happens a lot. So You're like that couldn't so, yeah. all have been in one episode. I mean, and, and then it was. I always tell people if you don't like that first episode, you're not going to like Breaking Bad. You you know after that first episode. At least that's my opinion because it really has so yeah. much of the DNA of the series right there at the beginning. Totally. Agreed. Totally. I can't wait to go back and rewatch after this show to uh, <laughs> kind of you know that we've got this whole backstory of of, of Saul and the evolution and kind of seeing yeah. seeing that how if it changes perspective a little bit how we yeah. see it, it totally um okay my next point I'm, i'll go back to kim's confession i like that she filed this affidavit first because she's very thorough and when she wants to she f- goes by the book and dots her eyes and crosses her t's and um then when she went to Cheryl, I just loved that whole scene. I loved how they presented it, showing bits of the text with the camera panning over, but not really showing the whole thing. And we're frantically trying to read it. And you can kind of get the gist, like in the way that when you speed read something, you get different words. And But then the camera focuses in on the parts related to Howard, because that's when it's Cheryl's point of view. It's just very artfully done. 
Um, but I tried to piece together all the text and here's what I, I didn't get all of it, but most of it, a lot of it, it says, uh, shortly after Salamanca's departure, Jimmy and I became, began a long-term concerted effort to impeach the character of Howard Hamlin. We did this in order to accelerate the settlement of the Sandpiper Crossing class action lawsuit in which Howard served as lead plaintiff's attorney. Jimmy, as originator of the case, would share in the common fund once the lawsuit was settled. For personal gain something, we faked his cocaine addiction. We used a variety of ruses to undermine Howard's reputation and raise a cloud of uncertainty over his professional judgment. And then the next part is even less, but I'll do my best. During this time, a man I now know as Michael Airman Trout approached something dot 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 settlement was agreed. Howard came to a horror home dot 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 infuriated but completely coherent. Salamanca entered our home to something almost immediately. Gun fired, shot in the head. Howard died instantly. And holding me as a hostage, Salamanca something. We later learned the target was Gustavo Fring, a something, dot, 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 camera. I was to return with photographic. As directed, I drove to Fring's house. Michael Ermentrout arrived. He appeared to have a number of men, blah, 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 stay at Fring's house while Ermentrout left. Later, events led me to believe that Operation something, something, Salamanca. When I was allowed to return home, Ermentrout something, something, removing all evidence of Howard's murder. Howard something something Howard's body his disappearance was elaborately staged as a suicide so there was still a lot missing but um it was interesting I think the most interesting thing to me about it was that she now knows this guy's Michael Armitrout and Gustavo Fring you know like afterwards she tried to piece together much of what that was all about as she could I guess you know what else is interesting too is I I said that she had offered one little lie yeah in that um in that scene with Cheryl, but it, it's actually really two in a way. And I can understand why this wouldn't be in a confession you give to a prosecutor. Cause what's the point? It's not really material. Um, but when she said they engaged in this whole activity to impeach Howard's reputation to accelerate the sandpiper settlement, that's like a half truth. Yeah. I mean, that was half mm-hmm. of it. The other half of it was to take Howard down a peg. Yeah. That's I right. Mean, there really were two motivations there. Mm-hmm. And for her, that may have been like the main thing, like the Sandpiper settlement. She well, and we learned not... she didn't even take the money. Now yeah, we know it's yeah. post the guilt and but, all that stuff. Yeah. But but in the moment, I mean, because she, what she told Jimmy is, think what we can do with this Sandpiper money. And then she got the opportunity to actually do that thing without the Sandpiper money, and she passed it up. Right. So you're totally yeah. right. I don't think that was her main motivation. I know. In the affidavit, she should have said, I had a demon that I couldn't shake. <laughs> I was good at it. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted more. Uh, so um, Cheryl asks her if she'll go to jail. And um, she says, you know, they may choose not to prosecute. And she says, "I." Cheryl says, I could sue you in civil court. I could take everything you've got. And she goes, Yeah. And my sense was she's like, I will not fight that at all. I deserve whatever you want to throw at me. Um, And and also, she doesn't have anything. That too. I I thought that was powerful in the sense of how meaningless it would be. I mean, yeah, I guess. If she ended up on the street, I don't know. I mean, she's resourceful enough to. I mean. I guess. And and I felt like 
that's how Cheryl felt too. It's like, she's kind of like, I could take yeah. everything from you, but it's meaningless. You don't have much and it's not going to make any difference anyway. It's not going to bring her yeah. back. But I also think that Kim would not argue that she wouldn't say, I don't have anything. She, she just said, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, and from Cheryl's point of view, she doesn't know Kim. She doesn't love Kim like we do. All she knows is this stranger got her husband killed. You know, if that was a character in a movie and that's all we knew about, we would wonder too, well, how are they going to get what's coming to them? You know? So it totally makes sense that Cheryl would go right to that. Like you're going to go to jail for this. Right. <laughs> but then, yeah, she's like, why are you doing this? She can sense that. And it, it just cuts to black because we know why she's doing it. She feels guilty and she wants to set things right. And she's even said, I want to help restore Howard's reputa reputation, which was pretty cool. And then she starts crying on the bus. Yeah, I guess we already talked about that. And yeah, so anyway, it was a powerful sequence. I think maybe that whole sequence was my favorite part of the episode. And uh, she, oh yeah, the last thing it just occurred to me, like Mike told her clearly you know, you don't tell anyone about this. And she did end up talking, but by that time, everyone's dead. So it doesn't matter to them. Well, it was interesting when she, they're in the office in Florida and they all go to go sing happy birthday uh, to that girl. That girl comes in the office and she's like, come on, it's time to sing. And that's like exactly what Kim did. She sung like a canary uh, going to Albuquerque oh, after. Oh, great point. <laughs> I like that. She yeah, did her so own right. singing <laughs> there. It's time yeah. to sing. Oh, you're right. That's and I'll, I'll correct myself. Yeah, I good. totally misspoke. Um, when I, um, Emilio was last seen in the second episode, um, you're right. I, I, I'd meant to say yes! that he was right. introduced in the first episode, and yes, he was last yes. seen in the second episode. But it's I think that that's one of the characters that um, like goes that far back to Breaking Bad to this far ahead in the timeline at the penultimate episode of, of Breaking Bad. You know, we haven't had I don't think that much of a stretch when we've revisited some of these Breaking Bad characters. So um, thought, I thought that was just mm -hmm. kind of interesting. But just cool. wanted to make sure that I let you guys know that you were correct. Sweet. All right. Next point. Blind squirrels, nuts. <laughs> uh, so I just quickly wanted to touch on the divorce itself Oy. and the divorce scene. And really what came to mind was um, sort of the key line of the Breaking Bad episode, Better Call Saul. Uh, when we first meet Saul is he says, conscience gets expensive, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, and that, that was the whole thing about where they weren't willing to have um, Badger be killed in prison. And they, they end up paying $80,000 mm -hmm. essentially to have this other guy take the fall instead of bumping off Badger. 50 that went to Saul. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that that quote really sums up this entire episode. Um, and where it connects with the divorce scene is we learn that Kim did not take her share of the Sandpiper money. You know, not surprising, given the context of what we've learned about her. She feels very guilty. She's traumatized. She doesn't feel she deserves that money. She feels the whole Sandpiper episode caused Howard's death. And, you know, it's where everything went off the rails. I think we also learn there that it was not her main motivation. Yeah. And also, I think she doesn't want means. She wants... She doesn't want to empower herself, which is what money does, you know, because right. she's afraid of what she would do with it. Agreed. 
Um, it did occur to me that would be a little suspicious. Like, how would you explain away not yeah. wanting the money? And I also wondered if the feds ever went to her and asked her about any of the other stuff Saul was involved in, you know, after he disappeared and everything. Because she's not in hiding. Yeah, it's a good question. No, she's, she's not, not hiding. hiding. She's under yeah, her own she's name. she's got her own name. Yeah, and she even says, you shouldn't be calling me here, which mm. means she thinks she might be under observation. Right. Um, the, I think the other thing we really learned from the divorce scene is how much they still care about each other. Oh, it was so obvious in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so she is seeing right with the whole show we spent years saying, when is Saul going to become full Saul? Well, now he is right at the beginning of being full Saul and she sees it. Yeah. I thought this was the first scene uh, with Saul and Kim. Yeah. First and only. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he is showing it off to her. Yeah. He's like going out of his way to be like, I don't care about anything but money yeah. and being a sleazy lawyer. You know, who's up next, sweet cheeks? Let's make some money. Um, and he's doing that very... Dummy's nose. Yeah, very purposefully. Uh, and I think we see how painful the whole thing is for her too. Mm -hmm. um, but much like the phone call, she's not giving him anything like, She's going to sign that thing. I mean, she sat there and he was looking through his uh, folder of papers and I almost felt like she was waiting to see if he would be present with her and have a, one last goodbye. And I actually felt kind of critical of her in that scene because I'm like, dude, you're the one who wanted to do this whole thing with Howard. It was too much for Jimmy and you pushed and you guys, he finally agreed and you did it and then you abandoned him. So I have some negative feelings towards Kim about all this, you know? I, I'm like, yeah, I mean, she was the driving force yeah. behind that. And now she's behind a, that caper. Like, I can't, you know, I don't like who we are together and we hurt people. And I'm like, well, maybe you should try, go to a therapist or something. Like, give it a try. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think she just feels it's what happened is unrecoverable. Yeah. Which is understandable. Yeah, it is. It is. But. Uh, but yeah, painful scene and, and, but very instructive of him, how much he obviously still cares about her. You know, he makes her wait, can't even confront her. And then at the end, he sort of flaunts how much he doesn't care, which is the opposite of true. And then elsewhere in this episode and from the phone call, we learn that it hasn't changed at all six years later. So mm -hmm. as we speculated, that is he still pining for her the whole time? Um, I think we learned that, yeah, he probably deep down was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe he didn't. There were long times where he didn't even think about it just because he was trying to distract himself, but it was still there. Anything else on that point, David? Nope. Okay, Rima? Yeah, that scene was tough. It took Saul a whole hour to work his way up to being able to see her. <laughs> That's. I know. You know, I mean, that, that, that tells you right there. So. Is that what he was doing? He wasn't like just trying to be a jerk, keeping her waiting. I mean, he was trying to get into Saul persona so they could handle it. I think that was more what it was. I think. I think that's I it. think that yeah. there was, you know, a bit of a power play there for for him making her wait. But I do think that there was part of him that just had to. He 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 looked like he had to puff himself up right before he hit that intercom and said, "Okay, you know, let her in." It was like yeah. that was. You know, like he was still Saul, but there was a little bit of Jimmy still there. And then he yeah, kind of, okay, got his Saul back on, you know, and then said, okay, let her in. 
uh, just so he could he could do that. So I, there, I think there was a bit of a power play there, but I also think it was just him, you know, kind of stealing himself a little bit to to see her. And I'm I'm really it it does not matter at all to the plot or the story. I'm just more curious myself what the timeline was from the time when she left him in that episode to mm-hmm. here where he went full Saul because he wasn't there yet. You know when when they broke up and when she left, and now he is. So I'm curious. I wonder how long that was. I read. In New Mexico, it can take any uh, typical divorce takes anywhere from two to six months to be complete. But that's you know just like if presuming it's amicable just and went forward from that point and yeah right like from the time of filing and if it's not um, you know contested or if there's you know a, a lot of back and forth. Okay, I wonder. I wondered sure. that. I'm like I'm assuming it was like amicable between them. They're both lawyers. They probably don't need to get yeah. other lawyers involved or you know, any of that stuff. And she didn't appear to want anything, but I was just like, I, I don't think it was years. Been. I don't think yeah. it was. It seemed like it was fairly recent, but um, I'm just like, well, I wonder how long it took him to like, was it in that instant when he, when she left that that was like that moment that really like it was day to night. Like he woke up the next day and just automatically like became Saul or, right. you know, that's, <laughs> that's more of what I was like, well, how much time was that? It didn't seem like it was very long, but. And, I do think the reason, one of the reasons why they put this whole uh, signing the divorce papers in the episode was because she, uh, on the call between Jimmy and, I mean, Gene and Kim, he mentioned it was six years since they last saw each other. So I think yeah. it was when they last saw each other in his office there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I meant the last time that they, from the time that she left no, the I apartment know, know. to them being in, yeah, in the Yeah, after office. they broke up. Um yeah. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I think it was a really important scene there. Uh, I mean, I think that's when Kim was just like, wow, the man I knew is gone. You know, it's like she told Jesse. Um, and I think it was really jarring mm-hmm. to see him in full Saul mode and acting like he didn't care. And she's yeah. not stupid. She had to know that that was all an act, um, you know, knowing that they still care for each other yeah or at least yeah it's hard to call it an act at this point it seems more like a coping mechanism you know and how much of it is voluntary and how much of it is reactive and everything but yeah it's a facade i guess you know yes. and i think throwing this um ball against the wall was so great because it brought back the cell phone thing and i love that continuity but it's also just what he does when he needs to process or mm-hmm. <laughs> but then when it hit the pillar and it fell down it was like styrofoam <laughs> and it's all about just the facade of Saul you yes know? it's like it's not real cathedral of justice um, <laughs> it's all for show it is for sure um well my my last point um you know is I want to kind of talk a little bit about um going back to Jean a little bit and just it's so odd seeing how far we've come and this evolvement of this character, uh, Jimmy, Saul, Gene, um, and and how I feel like he is a very much different character. Like he he definitely has a lot of Saul still in him, um, but there was a much more sinister side that was revealed in this episode. And you know, just as a reminder, it was. So much has happened. I really had to sit back and think about everything that's happened in this whole season. Only four episodes ago, Jimmy was going to sacrifice himself um, to Lalo just to get Kim out of their house and get her to safety. And then after, what, a handful of months, let's say, 
however long it took them to file or her to file papers and get them signed. It's have a nice life, Kim. Um, and to then see him in this world of Gene uh, that he's in to nearly brain a, a, a cancer patient with the ashes of his dead dog. It's got to be one of the worst things I think we've ever seen him do. I mean, and he's done a lot of bad things mm-hmm. uh, for sure. And it was it was very jarring for me to see him act in in this type of way. And I talked last week, you know, when we had the cameo with Walt, and I, I thought it was kind of like a sim- symbol to kind of hold up this mirror uh, to to Saul and to Gene to kind of see that he's. I think he's very much kind of going down that same path. He gets, comes back to his old schemes where he's trying to rob this, um, and he's got a name, Mister. Is it Ling? Ling? Oh, um, I don't know. The, I keep the cancer guy. <laughs> keep calling him yeah, Cancer Man. The, the cancer it's guy. T- terrible. Um, <laughs> it's horrible. But, but yeah, we we get guy. back to where he rob, robs his house, and I thought it was really interesting that the amount in his account that Saul found was seven hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars, which. If you remember, go back and think that was the exact amount of money that Walt needed or what he said that he needed to earn from meth mm. or making meth to leave to Skylar and the kids. And they, Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when he, you know, he said he, he'd swear to stop um, with drugs once, once he got to that $737,000. That's all that he wanted to know. But what happened? Greed got the better of him and, you know. We know how it ended Had to up push it. for Walt. So what does that mean exactly for Gene? Because there's parallels there to, to Breaking Bad. And, it, you know, it seemed like this this um, cancer man that he was introduced to and that he wants to scheme, instead of like him backing down, knowing that this guy has cancer, it seemed to spin him out of control a little bit and go ahead with this robbery, knowing that it's a bad idea, knowing that he he's he could very well get caught and he's not thinking clearly and he's not thinking things through. And, you know, the same is like with, with Walt, you know, I never would have imagined when we met Walt in episode one, that Walt, this goofy Walter White, mild mannered uh, school teacher would strangle crazy eight um, just three episodes in. And then I never would have thought that I would have seen Gene or Jimmy Saul even, uh, getting so close to hitting a guy over the head with his dog's ashes or nearly strangling an elderly woman with a phone cord. Mm-hmm. There was something that Vince Gilligan said, which I'll, I've got the article um, up here somewhere um, with what he says about final word about the finale. And it, I don't know. It just, I don't think it's going to end very well. I'm not feeling as hopeful as what I once did about what's going to happen next. I don't know. It just, I don't think he's going to get riddled with bullets necessarily like Walt did, but I just don't think it's going to end on a on a happy note, at least not unless he gets a last minute mm-hmm. jolt of conscience like Kim did or something. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know. What do you guys think? What did Vince Gilligan say? He said they asked him one word to or what adjective would you use to describe the finale? He said earned, well earned. Oh, yeah. And what has Saul earned? 
I think I know what he's earned, but I don't want to say it. <laughs> I, I don't know anything. Yeah. I'm just speculating. You just all of what we're seeing, they're they're definitely painting him as a really bad guy and we're not supposed to like him. And just like they did with Walt, you know, Walt they definitely made us see how bad he got at the end too. You know, so we didn't feel so bad about him dying. Um, yeah, I, I I agree that the parallels are are quite clear between Saul's arc and waltz uh i think what we're really seeing of him in the omaha portion of this episode is that his crimes have deteriorated to the point where they're brutal sloppy stupid risks um mean-spirited he's working with dark yeah and he's working with this idiot you know he used to have this unbelievable partner in chicago then he was working with kim who's was they were brilliant together he was an artist um and they used to talk about the artistry of the crime you know now it's just sad and um what made the biggest impression to me in the scene you're talking about um with the um with the ashes it it was just the look on his face Mm -hmm. like we have never seen that look on his face before yeah this look of like it was chilling violence was chilling yeah yeah and and the same thing uh with marianne with the phone coordinate when he threatens her uh i think final warning yeah i think the one piece of hope we have is that he doesn't kill marianne and so there's still a scrap of humanity in him somewhere yeah yeah a little bit and even handed that thing back to her instead of taking it away which I thought he was going to rip it right off. And I don't know if that meant, okay, fine, tell on me. Or uh, he didn't think she was going to do it. I'm not sure. But we're not to that part yet. So um, as far as, yeah, that scene with Jimmy robbing the guy, uh, it was was, uh, really tense and well-staged because, and, and also does what this show does so well. It plays on your expectations so as he's looking up the passwords i'm thinking this guy's going to clock him in the back of the head right because that's what would have happened in any other movie and then he uh but it doesn't happen and then he gets everything he needs but then he starts dicking around and drinking his alcohol and stuff and you're like get out of there dude so that that there's that tension there and you see jeff's been waiting outside for him and stuff and uh then he looks over the railway or whatever upstairs and sees that the guy's coat is there, but he's gone, which reminded me of Michael Myers, by the way. <laughs> um, and he's like, oh, shit. And then you think, OK, it's on. He knows he's there. It's going to be like a battle. But no, he's just sitting at the bottom of the stairs. And then then you think that Jimmy's going to clock him over the head and then he falls over on his phone. So just a series of left turns when you expect right or at least that's how it was for me and the music and everything the way it was the pacing of it and all it was just really really riveting television two other little things about this scene one um call out to breaking bad as he finds the account numbers in a picture frame uh which is where gus fring was keeping his account numbers uh, uh, yeah. i thought it was on the bottom of the light like he was i might have seen it wrong he was point looking for the um oh and then he found it on the bottom of the picture frame and it was at yeah. the bottom of the light that he was using to look for it yeah it could be you might be right i think that's um but the yeah. anyway it reminded me of the uh of yeah. Gus's account i think it was supposed to yeah mm-hmm. yeah account numbers uh-huh. and then um uh and now i've forgotten my other point so go ahead i'm sorry no, no worries <laughs> 
Uh, and then, of course, there were the cops arguing over the fish taco, which was really yeah, funny. funny. And then you see Jeff just take off and run into this car, and they both, without a word, are like, all right. Let's oh, get so, this guy. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing I was going to say is that I think there's also some evidence that he's a little bit where Kim is as well, um, where part of him wants to get caught. It feels like, like it. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's out, yeah. and then he goes back in, which is a terrible risk. And then the same thing with Marion. She's like... He's reckless. Yeah, and he knows Marion's going to tell on him, and he lets her do it. So... Yeah. I, I think he's sel- is, as self-hating, more self-hating than ever right now. Absolutely. Yeah, he's just like, fuck it. Okay, well, let's talk about Marion. I, I get to be the one to introduce this. Awesome. Because it was uh, pretty intense confrontation with Mary and and uh, I liked how Jeff seemed like a teenager talking to Jimmy on the phone I mean he lied and said it was his dad you know to mask who he was really calling but even but then when Jimmy said uh well I'm gonna tell your mom to come down there and he's like okay are you gonna you gonna tell her or whatever (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of funny but uh so Marion figures out that he's Saul and uh, one of the listeners was saying they didn't, they weren't sure it was believable just because Jean offered to help that she would make the jump to think that he was Saul. So I was thinking, okay, but what does Marion know? She knows that her son Jeff used to live in Al- Albuquerque, got in with a bad crowd, committed some low level crimes. And she knows that she made friends with Jean, but Jean started to be more interested in hanging out with Jeff. And that when last time he was over there with her, Jeff came home and she's like, portion schnapps or whatever it was. And But Jimmy just abruptly, like, I'm going to take mine to go and went to hang out with Jeff and Buddy in the garage and made up an excuse to see the car. And then she looked out the window and saw Jean yelling at them at Jeff and telling buddy to shut that damn dog up. So she knows that he, he's acting different around them than he does her and something's going on out there with them. And then now Jeff gets in trouble with the law and calls Jean first. And the biggest thing he, for some reason knows how bail bonds work in Albuquerque. So that really made the connection like, all right, I'm afraid of these people that Jeff got uh, mixed up with Albuquerque uh, now maybe J- Jimmy and Jeff have an Albuquerque connection and something's going on with them. And if they already had this connection, then what does that say about how she met Jean? Like was it just a c- hoax or a con to get close to Jeff again. So that's what got her all suspicious and checking ask Jeeves. <laughs> I love that. Ask Jeeves told yeah. me such a little period piece. It's hilarious. So then, uh, yeah, he comes over and she's all nervous closing her laptop and he forces it open and sees uh, that she's looking at his Better Call Saul commercial. And of course, that was really cool because you could see the reflection of it in his glasses in color. It was like the best, I think, one of the best (laughs) shots in TV ever in this black and white world. And we see the color of one of his old Better Call Saul commercials. It was just beautifully shot. It's a great yeah, still. Yeah, because that's from yeah. the color world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's when life used to be fun. Yeah. And uh and then he tries to tell her, Oh, you you think that you think that's me, don't you? It's not me. And she doesn't even bother addressing that. She just says, There was never a nippy, was there? And one thing I don't know, one thing that never quite set right with me early, better call Saul, is 
they were trying to paint Jimmy as he has a good heart. He's helping elderly people. I think that was their intention. But I feel like he talked down to them sometimes. And I think he he loved them, but I thought he he just talked to them like they were children. And um and I don't think that was necessarily the writer's intention, but that's how it came off. And and maybe this is all speculation, but maybe they realized it came off that way. So they kind of baked it into the story that Jimmy underestimates these people. And that's going to bite him in the ass at the end here. And uh, so, so uh, it's poetic justice that he underestimated Marion like he used to underestimate. Or even if that's not the case, he still did underestimate Marion. He taught her how to use Ask Jeeves and she she used that. And and there's a lot of irony in all this stuff. Like his beloved commercial ends up being key to his downfall, teaching her how to use Ask Jeeves, got him in trouble that he started in Elder Cow Law and now it gets told on through one of these lifeline devices. And um I also just think it's ironic that these two comedy icons are doing a really dramatic good dramatic scene together carol burnett was fantastic the look on her face she was just wonderful uh when she looked him dead in the eye and said i trusted you oh man yeah and that's what did it for him i think um but before we get to that so she yeah jimmy says what did jeff tell you and she goes he didn't tell me anything ask jeeves told me and uh i was wondering what did she search for I was thinking slick Albuquerque lawyer, but then she says it right out con man in Albuquerque. And so if you go to conmanalbuquerque.com now you get that commercial, you can see a video of it. <laughs> and if you go to askjeeves.com and you search for con man Albuquerque, the first item that comes up is mature quality singles.com slash dating slash site. I don't think that they wanted that to come up, but <laughs> that was the first thing that came up. Um, but yeah, so she says she's going to call the police and then he ripped the phone cord. Let me help you with that. And ripped the cord out of the wall. It felt like something out of the shining at this point, you know, or actually she's saying, what did you get my son into? He goes, nothing he didn't ask for. He's getting intense. And then he's wrapping the phone cord around each hand as he's saying, now, listen, I'm still the good friend you thought I was. Okay. And this feels like a horror movie here. This is, we've never seen him like this. Even even when he was going to hit the guy with the urn, that was bad. But this is worse. It's just as bad, at least. It's it's horrible. And I thought maybe he was going to tie her up. But on Better Call Saul Insider, Vince Gilligan seemed to suggest he was about to kill her, strangle her. And then she pulls out that device and he goes, put that down. Do not do it, Marion. Final warning. And it's like, what does that mean? It means he's going to kill her if she does it. And then, like you said, Rima, she says, I trusted you. And I think he softened just that little bit. And then Marion, this is Valerie with life alert. Are you okay? No, Valerie, I'm not okay. There's a criminal standing in my kitchen, threatening me. He's a wanted man. And his name is Saul Goodman. So she got all the necessary info out quick enough for, um, he has to be on the run now. Like he can't stay there as Gene anymore. So I don't know. That was intense, man. Super intense. We kind of predicted that something like this would happen, but it was just done so well. And it's another one of those instances. I think this whole episode where I feel like giddy about how great it is as a, as TV, great TV, but also just horrified by seeing Jimmy do that to somebody. Yeah. 
we've never seen him do anything like that. And it was just very, just this decline um, in, in his mm-hmm. character. It was, it was just jarring because, and, and I don't disagree with what, I, I want to just mention a point where you, you were talking about um, where Jimmy would talk down to some of the elderly people that he represented. And I don't disagree with that. I think that he did, or he would say things that would get him what he wanted um, to get them to do what he wanted them to do to help him in his career and what he what he wanted um, out of that situation. But I do yeah. feel he did very much have a soft spot for a lot of the people that he represented. There was a scene, Absolutely. you know, where, where one of the, the people that he represented, he drew up their will and he had learned that they had passed on. And he remembered her name. Yeah. He remembered the conversations and everything that happened with her family. All the oh, he conversations. Was moved by it yeah, too. and he was, he was moved like, by oh. it. So there were two sides to him that I I, I don't disagree. I with think he likes Marion. I think he likes Marion too. He genuinely he does. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying that that. No, I'm just. It just seems like he he underestimated them sometimes, and I don't think that yes. that was their intention when they were writing it. But I felt a little uncomfortable with the way he was talking to them early on when I don't think that's what the writers meant. But I, I wonder if maybe they picked up on that and realized that that's what they were doing. I don't know. Could just be making that all up. Yeah. I'm not sure, but yeah. But Marion's, you know, she, she figured him out. She's a smart lady. And she, she did, she knew everything. I mean, she had that commercial up, but when she talked to Valerie, she's like, he's a wanted man. So she not just found the commercial, she found out everything. I can't imagine what came up on her search, you know, uh, reading yeah. all of that and what Saul, you know, was associated with and wanted for right. and what was um, wanted for. So that was probably very scary for her. She handled it very well. She was very yeah. calm. I don't think I could have been One thing, as calm as her. Yeah. As I'm thinking about it. Didn't she know he was on his way over there? You'd think. Yeah, I was going to say she could have called the cops before. I thought that's what was actually going to happen. I thought that they were like, Mm -hmm. okay, we're going to hide out in the room over here. We're going to be fine. We'll protect you. We're going to be back here in the back or something. And we want him like here, not expecting anything. And then they, I, I expected that he was going to like be taken down in that moment. It didn't happen exactly as I thought, but, um, you know, I think scared. you could read it as she wanted to confront him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he turned out to be worse than she thought to, because he is be worse dangerous. than he was back then. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe she <laughs> underestimated him just a little bit uh, mm-hmm. and how. Sinister. Yeah. I think she thinks of him. She thinks of him as a nonviolent con man. And it turns out he is not the same and he's dangerous. No. Yeah. yeah. He's got nothing to lose. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, 
Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, let's get into notes, David. Okay, so, um, so often, um, as you both know, in the course of this show, I've talked a lot about how they called back to Breaking Bad, um, often through the electric blue <laughs> that ran through the show or, yes. or other symbolism or Easter eggs. You haven't been doing that as much with the say, black and white episodes. We haven't had any of the blue talk with all the black and white. Yeah, I think they, I think they've dropped that out of the show, really, even in the color segments. Yeah. But uh, it really was more at the beginning of season six. Um, but I think what has grown and really reached a crescendo in this episode was the um, the movie connections. Uh, so. I think this is a writing group led by Vince Gilligan that really love their movies, love yeah. movie history and TV history. Uh, and I think they're taking their opportunity really to make some of those call outs to movies that were influential to them as their careers developed. So there was a bunch of them in this episode. So the, it, it starts with Saul bouncing the ball in his office. So that's a, I would say a very direct call out to a famous scene in the great escape where Steve McQueen is sent to the hole or to ISO or whatever for escape attempts. And he's got his glove and a ball and he's bouncing the ball and that's how he passes the time. Mm. Uh, so that one was very direct and that's a world war two ensemble cast movie, very similar to the dirty dozen which we saw very directly called out two episodes ago. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, I, I never made this connection before, but you're so right about them being film buffs and film fans, the writers of the show. They talk about it a lot on the Better Call Saul Insider podcast. Mm -hmm. And I bet you that's why they made Kim and Jimmy film fans too, just so that they got to explore that with their characters. And because Jimmy is such a film fan too, I, I could see that, he decided to do that ball bouncing thing in the cell phone store because he liked the great escape, you know, totally agreed. <laughs> totally agreed. Yeah. He knows what that, what that is and, yeah. and what it means. I mean, in this case, what he's great escaping from is his marriage, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, but there is no escape from the whole Howard situation and everything that passed between them. And that's tr true in the great escape too. That ends up disastrously for all the, for most of the characters. Um, so that was uh -oh. one, but there were, um, there were some other, I thought pretty direct movie call outs. Uh, the scene in which Gene is trapped in the house where he is committing the burglary and he's in the upstairs and the guy wakes up and he's in the downstairs is a, a pretty direct analogy to North by Northwest. Uh, have you two seen that movie, old Hitchcock movie? I think it's been a long time since I've seen that. I, yeah, I really the most famous well. scene in that movie is the one in the cornfield with the crop yeah. duster, where he's yes. running from the crop duster. But the the whole um, climax Grant. of that movie, he has to climb into this very architecturally striking house where Eva Marie Sane is about to get on a plane with the bad guys and go behind the Iron Curtain. And he's sort of trapped in the upstairs. She's downstairs with them, and he has to throw a book of matches down to get her attention. But it's all very much structured the way this scene was. It looked very much like it visually with mm -hmm. him in the upstairs and the other guy in the downstairs. So 
that reminded me pretty directly. Um, I felt like there was some call-outs to Fargo in this whole sequence in Omaha. Maybe not quite as direct, but mm-hmm. it's a Fargo mood with yeah. um, with this sort of idiot cab driver that he's working with <laughs> who, like, crashes his car for no reason right in front of a couple of cops. That was a very funny, um, funny part, watching his Yeah, cab. and... Th- this whole stupid crime that gets worse and worse and more and more brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I have a feeling they, they like some of the Coen brothers movies in Fargo. Uh, I felt there was some office space in the whole uh, Palm Coast sprinklers. <laughs> yeah. Like you mentioned the knock on the wall and the, mm-hmm. the whole punch or like the stupid birthday scene with the cake. The birthday and cards the, and Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was all very office space. And I read um, a couple of the um, things that people wrote, and it was all just the most mundane, you know, like, hope you have a good one. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> right. the, the card said, um, you're perfect, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, was like, it was like when Mike was in, uh, had to work at Magical, and they did the same thing, passing of a birthday card. It was a card very similar to what Mike mm-hmm. had to sign when he was working <laughs> <laughs> right right but the the really the biggest one um to me in this was goodfellas and i i think this whole plot line of both gene and kim in this colorless world where they used to be these larger than life characters having these fun crazy adventures in crime back in their albuquerque days um, and now they're just like these schmoes living this these colorless lives. And it, it very closely parallels the end of Goodfellas when Henry Hill, yet he, he testifies against everybody and he goes into the witness protection program. And then he's just like a schmo. Um, and the last line of Goodfellas is Henry Hill saying to the camera, today everything is different. There's no action. I have to wait around like everyone else. Can't even get decent food. Right after I got here, I ordered spaghetti with marinara sauce, and I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody. Get to live the rest of my life like a schnook. Um, (laughs) In a way, worse than death for him. And I think that Hmm. sums up this whole where Saul has ended up. Excellent movie, by the way. But yeah, very, very good parallel there. Like like it. it. Okay, Rima. Well, the one note that I had, um, more of an Easter egg, the cancer guy, and I'm so sorry that I keep saying that, um, he had a Coca-Bolo desk like Jimmy had up there. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. That is good because it seems like he misses the trappings. I mean, it goes right along with what David was just saying. He misses the trappings of his old mm-hmm. life. And that that felt like that was another reason why he was sticking around, having the fancy uh, whiskey and the, the watches, watches and the, the cigar. Desk. Yeah. yeah, the desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just thought that was fun. I loved just I dig <laughs> all the Easter eggs. Hopefully, maybe maybe after we get to the fin- uh, the finale, get a whole list of of everything um, that we had in the series from from Breaking Bad, but definitely from this. He took the desk, right? That's the desk he had in his office all those years. Mm, yeah, I think so. Like that's the yeah. one yeah. thing he took from Davis and Maine. Yeah. Yep, I think I so. That yeah. desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and we saw it at his house in the first yeah scene of when they were the seizing season. his property uh, yeah they gotcha. had the desk seizing stuff yeah um i had a few notes i like the song the tide is high and jimmy you know blondie's the tide is high and i think it's sort of him being carefree to the point of being in denial but maybe the song is also about like things are tough right now but i don't give up no matter what and and i love that he sings it very badly because they have to stay consistent with that given how bad he is at karaoke <laughs> <laughs> i i bet you that bob odenkirk does not sing that badly normally has to work at it uh i thought it was pretty hilarious when they were talking about drugs the women what happened to and crack? Where, what, where's crack now <laughs> what, what happened to crack and then they talked about why do they need pacifiers when you're on ecstasy and she goes don't you think if you ran a store and some teenager came into your store and tried to buy a pacifier don't you think you'd call the police <laughs> <laughs> I sure would. I feel like that's when like Kim made this hard turn into the tuna salad and the Miracle Whip again, like <laughs> not a, with, with her experience right. and all of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How many drug clients did she defend mm-hmm. back in her day? Yeah, come on. Um, uh, and then my usual interesting elements of this week's better call Saul insider they mentioned that poor aaron paul had a migraine the night he filmed this jesse scene which is a bummer because i would have liked to have seen how it would have been if he didn't i mean migraines are the worst um i believe it was the woman whose hand touches kim's shoulder on the bus that's vince gilligan's longtime girlfriend holly rice Oh, who's really? never been oh. on the show before, but she got to be on it. Oh, yeah. I've heard him talk her, about her, her a gazillion times on the yeah, podcast. I know. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. And he also said that when they have sex, he always says, yep. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> what inspired that? Where did that come from? Because did right. someone share a terrible He's sexual experience to... or something? Because damn. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I got to show some really bad sex here. What what should I do? <laughs> I want to talk about that with the writers. What, where did that and come it, from? It's, it seemed like she was just enduring it, really. It, it, like, oh. God. <laughs> I mean, I feel like she, yeah, she was more than happy to let him go for the night so she could handle things herself <laughs> after after he was gone. Um, Vince Gilligan mentioned that in this business of entertainment, I mean, they always just throw tons of compliments at each other on that podcast, but they're talented, so they deserve it. But he said in this business, you need talent, you need to be hardworking, you need to have enthusiasm and a positive attitude. And he really emphasized that part, how like everybody's positive attitudes really make it, um, make this whole thing work. And I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. You know, you really need to have a can do positive attitude to, work in that business mm-hmm. and uh, they all have that on the podcast for sure and uh, the last thing is they mentioned that this is Vince Gilligan's last episode of Better Call Saul of course mm. he wrote and directed it and also that it was the first episode of TV he wrote all by himself since the Breaking Bad finale wow I'm not counting the um, what do you call it the Jesse movie El Camino, El Camino. El Camino. I yeah. love Vince Gilligan. I've been a fan of his since X Files. 
you know, that's that's when I knew him and and grew to love him. And of course, where him and Brian Cranston worked together, uh, you know, that yeah. was one of my favorite episodes, Drive, I believe it was, from X-Files, um, where Brian Cranston was there and Vince Gilligan wrote. I don't remember that. I'm going to have to go mm-hmm. watch that. He he did. I, I didn't watch X-Files much, so I don't know it that well. But I know because I'm a huge Vince Gilligan fan that he tended to do the one and done episodes. Monster of the Week, I guess. Yeah, there, the, there weren't um, a lot of the conspiracy. Ones. Yeah, there was the, the two yeah. groupings. There was like, yeah, the Monster of the Week or the and one-offs. And then there were that's like the conspiracy where he, ones. Yeah. I thought that show, that show got a little frustrating with the conspiracy thing for me, at least. Where yeah, everything sure. in the world was part of this conspiracy. Um, <laughs> and then they but I, I loved really the one-off it. episodes. Yeah, yeah, they're really... And okay. he was behind that spinoff, The Lone Gunman, him and uh, one of the other... Tom Schnauz, maybe, or one of the other writers, which I heard was good, but just didn't fly for whatever reason. But he's so... I love his style so much. He's so meticulous. What bothers the hell out of me about TV and movies is when things don't make sense and uh, the dots don't connect and the writers don't seem to care. That's why I love these pitch meeting videos on YouTube where the guy, this comedian, Ryan George, just points out all the stupid things in movies, but does it in a really fun way. Um, But um, anyway, Vince Gilligan, like he makes my favorite show, Breaking Bad, probably my favorite show, at least top five. And he's so good at it. And he's just such a cool guy on the podcast. He gives all these people opportunities and he's got this great attitude and yeah, just a great guy. I can't wait to see what they do next. I hope he can find something else where he can really put his talent to use like he has on these shows. I I can't wait to see what he does. I would love to hang out with Vince Gilligan. Vince, if you're listening to this, (laughs) give me a call and hang out like have a beer um, because he seems so cool. That'd be so cool. I mean, and I've listened... I missed this last insider podcast, but you know, I listened to it back when breaking bad was on. Um, and I would listen to it devotedly and, and, you know, of course you feel like you get to know them really well. And just to hear, like you said, the positive attitude, um, and, and the accolades that he gives everyone, you know, because he's like, you know, because they, everybody's like praising him and he's like, Hey, I'm just a little piece of this. You know, he always kind of makes sure to spread the love and the recognition to everyone that everyone has a part to play in making not just breaking bad, but now better call Saul such a great show. And, um, you know, and then the opportunities that they would give to people. Like I follow one of the writers. Um, she started out as a, just a PA, like a writer's assistant and production assistant, know, Jennifer Hutchinson. And too. now, and then she ended up being a, a full-time writer. And then she was a writer on Better Call Saul. And then she has excelled. Like they were very good about recognizing that talent and, and grooming that and, and bringing that out into people and giving them better opportunities. Yeah. And, and, uh, What's her name? Uh, Kelly, Kelly Dixon. Dixon, who started the Better Call Saul Insider and, and was an editor and w- was famous for doing those amazing the montages uh, montages in Breaking Bad mm-hmm. of meth making and stuff. She's now like she did Obi-Wan Kenobi and she's doing Marvel stuff and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit sad to see it all kind of come come to an end. But Vince being such a great guy, you also have to remember that from his mind sprang some of the most like you know, depraved things we've seen on TV. So that's all. I was just <laughs> thinking about that. He's this great guy writing about these terrible people. I love him. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Anything else? Nope. All right. We'll take a little break. There is more to come. Stay with us. I ride the train to work every day. I reach my cupid. 
we're back. It's time for some news. Okay. One item from uprocks.com. Uh, so if you're interested, um, on August 15th, the day of the series finale, uh, Cinnabon is going to give away a free treat in honor of the conclusion of what I consider the best show on TV. <laughs> so um, that Monday, Better Call Saul fans can get a free center of the role, uh, which is what they describe as the ooey gooey center of the brand's classic cinnamon roll. Um, hmm. There's a coupon code that you can use. It the coupon co- code is Call Saul, and you have to order it through the Cinnabon app. Um, so to unlock the offer, you go to the Cinnabon app, you sign into Cinnabon Rewards, you tap unlock a code, and enter Call Saul. So nice. I, I love that. This is why you listen to this show, people. This is useful <laughs> right. information. Finally got to the part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you actually. Used. You finally got to the gooey center of our podcast. I'm bringing all of the hard hitting news here. You're welcome. Um, so I, I, I'm I'm down for it. I'm gonna have to find my way to Cinnabon uh, that Monday. I don't have one super close, but I'll find one. Uh, there was an interview with Vince Gilligan in Rolling Stone. I thought this was interesting um, because it's kind of tells a little bit about how they break the stories and how far ahead they get. Um, they say, you and Peter always say that you can only see two inches in front of your face as the show is being plotted. So what at point, what, at what point and how did you figure out what was going to happen to Kim? He said the same way we always did. We just work out two inches ahead of our noses. I think it could have gone any which way, but there are probably also was an element of us being loath to kill her off character. Um, There were so many elements of this story that were preordained. You can't kill off Jimmy McGill in his own show. You can't kill off any character whom we know the fate of from Breaking Bad. But with Kim, the sky was the limit. I guess it just didn't feel right to kill her off. That was probably never on the table, honestly. We certainly kept silently smiling while people stopped us on the street and said, you're going to kill Kim, aren't you? We let people think that maybe we would, but none of us wanted to do it. But we figured out where she wound up. It was in uh, little baby steps, little fits and starts, like every other bit of plotting that we do. Yep, that's cool. Yeah. They then go on. These episodes take place after Breaking Bad and after El Camino. As of now, they are the chronological end of the story. Do you see this as it... For this, do you see this as it for the fictional universe, or could you imagine revisiting it? He said, I can definitely imagine revisiting it. Selfishly, I'd like to do so to keep this thing going. But without naming any names, I look around at some of the worlds, the universes, the stories that I love, whether they're on TV or in the movies. And I think there's a certain point, and it's hard to define, where you've done too much in the same universe. Just leave it alone. And some universes <laughs> are much bigger and more elastic. Ours is a very small one, Albuquerque, New Mexico, versus some of these worlds and series of movies and TV shows. The main thing I'm scared of is becoming too much of a one-trick pony. Yes, I could do more with this universe, and maybe someday I will, especially if I fail at everything that comes next. (laughs) (laughs) Then I'll come. That's very honest. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. He is very honest. This is so Vince. (laughs) I can see Vince all in this um, interview. Um, He said, then I'll come crawling back. But right now, whether there's more Mm -hmm. room to grow or not, and there probably is, I feel like it's time to do something new. I wonder if he's talking about Walking Dead. Yeah, I'm... I'm glad to hear him say that, um, yeah. right? Because there's a, a new Walking Dead starting up, right? And a different show. Well, there's a few. Yeah, there's oh, a yeah. few. There's yeah. like three or four. I mean, so I haven't kept up with that, but we saw the commercials for it during Better Call Saul the other night. And I was just like, 
Oh yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm. I mean Taylor literally for zombies let it die. And um and I think um, Well, if anything's going to keep yeah. going on, it is kind of artistically <laughs> that uh, is true. appropriate. But but for this um I mean it's against the odds that you could already make two great shows in a universe as small as this. I hope they don't try to keep going. Like it's good. Like, yeah, yeah. They like just let it go. Yeah. And also um it is a good plan to go try and do something else. And even just to give yourself time, like if it didn't succeed, but he had a couple of years of time to let something else in this universe, just uh, universe gestate, it would probably be better. Sometimes people just need to take a break and wait and recharge, you know, Get musicians. I feel that way about too. When they mm-hmm. come out with too many albums in a row, then they start to feel stale or too samey. They just need to take some time away and do something else. Yep. This is also a universe where they've killed off just about everybody. (laughs) Yeah, who's left? You have to start (laughs) over from scratch. Yeah. 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 And as much as I love both these shows, they have the same plot almost. Yeah. So I wonder, can you guys do something else? It's amazing how good they were able to make a whole second show out of this. And really, it's because the characters are so strong. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And they know good filmmaking, too. It's, yeah, they it's do. Really good. They do. One last item of note um, for anyone interested, they are going to have an auction of uh, this uh, Better Call Saul's most iconic props and costumes uh, soon after the series is over. Um, see, it's on August. Let's see. Oh, um, August 18th to September 1st. Um, prop stores auction will take place um right after the finale which airs on august 15th so yep august 18th to september 1 it's an online format that will allow anyone access across the globe to get their hands on some of those collectibles as for items in question there's something to fit almost everyone um there'll be marco salamanca's skull tip boots which is expected to get anywhere between 1500 to 2500 dollars Jimmy's world's second best lawyer mug, no bullet hole oh version, uh, which will range, they think, between two to three thousand. I would love to have that, but I'm not bidding two thousand dollars. Those, <laughs> I think, those items are going to go for way more. I think they're going to go way more yeah. than that. That's what they're wanting. Um, are you kidding me? Those send boots? me the link, and I'll put it in the show notes okay. just in case. Um, well, we have any big spenders. And by the way, my Patreon is uh, yeah, patreon.com/slash/jasonkabassi. Just. I'll, I'll give you my Venmo if you want to swing some money my way so I can bid on But seriously, yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. I will. I'll the next find time the you see me, the next time you see me on the Zoom, there will be pillars behind me. Yes. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be so <laughs> that great be to have his whole cathedral of oh justice? <laughs> so also um, some uh, Poyos Hermanos merchandising, um, which um, will be available as well. And then Gus Fring's sober attire going for at least fifteen hundred. And there's also a few other noteworthy items. Jimmy's starter kit from his short-lived days at David and Maine, or Davis and Maine. Sorry, um, Chuck's anti-static Coca-Bolo space desk. blanket. No, yeah, right. <laughs> um, some of Jimmy's burner phones um, will also be there. But you can also, um, I think that you can just sign up as well. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll send the link. I think that you're able, if you want to just go register, even if you can't actually participate 
in the auction if you can't afford like the starting bids they're still um if you just sign up they're going to give away like free gifts to people that even just sign up on the auction so i'll give out um i'll give the link to jason you can post it in the show notes if you just want to go sign up and watch the fun and maybe get a chance to win a free free gift for signing up that's cool yeah cool yeah, I remember when Ash vs. Evil Dead ended and I went to their auction. I was going to try to get a Necronomicon, but they were just going for too much money. So, so they, those much. things, you got to really want it. You got to really want it. Have some <laughs> but, deep uh, pockets. You can find good replicas out there. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some listener feedback. David? Uh, David Gardner says, another awesome episode. Never expected to see Kim in this way. The events have shaken her up a bit more than it appeared when she left. Not sure what the time frame is for it's been six years that Saul mentioned. Uh, I still have no idea what's going to happen. Everything that seemed obvious is just not working out that way. Loved seeing Jesse pop up. That was incredible. He seemed to be more Jesse than in the other scene with Walt and Saul in the RV in the desert. Yeah. Can't wait for Monday, but not really not looking forward to next Tuesday when there's no more new Saul. Amen to that. Yeah. yeah i guess that was aside from there was some webisode or something where they showed a younger jesse this scene was the earliest jesse we've seen in the timeline Mm -hmm. and and by the way david if you're not sure about the it's been six years neither is bob odenkirk (laughs) (laughs) and he even said the line it's been six years (laughs) yeah i know i know well it's been a while though since they filmed Jijo Puthia says the writers of this show are so creative I don't think anyone could have guessed that Kim would have confessed I think the whole thing happened with Howard was a conversation um, or sorry a conversion experience like Jules from Pulp Fiction I really respected what she did Kim did the right thing regardless of how painful it was on the other hand Saul has gone completely the opposite way I'm so glad he did not strangle Marion that would have been vile I can't wait to see uh, next week. Again, the writers are out of the box. Amazing. Sorry, I put my glasses on. But that Marion scene really shows, okay, uh, they really gave uh, um, Carol Burnett something meaty to do. If it had just been that first episode, it would have seemed not made as much sense. But yeah, it was good. Yes. Oh, my turn. Kristen Crabtree says, I'm so glad we got Kim back, but her Florida life is so sad. Miracle Whip is never okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't mind it. Uh, Kim and Jesse together. I love that conversation. Go have some fun in Google or ask Jeeves Albuquerque con man. That's what when you, I got your a message. That's when I went and checked ask Jeeves. So thanks Kristen. Nice. Uh, from Rinaldi Caliste. Uh, I think Jimmy's mom did Jimmy a disservice by enabling him. This issue reminds me of Chuck's infamous chicanery rant. Ever since he was nine, always the same. Couldn't keep his hands out of the cash drawer. But not our Jimmy. Couldn't be precious Jimmy. Chuck mimicking his mom uh, during the rant. Marion, on the other hand, was willing to let Jeff stay in jail and not allow that situation to be used against her by Jimmy. This has placed Jimmy into fling fugitive status. Uh, his downfall came from the actions of two different mothers all of this highlights Jimmy's fear of taking ownership for his bad choices. He always shifts the blame, like blaming Lalo for the Howard scheme uh, when trying to stop Kim from leaving him. Great point. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing Jimmy as Gene antagonize Kim on the phone was even more tragic. 
Jimmy sounded so much like Kim's mom in the flashback scenes during that call. It must have been traumatic for Kim to hear Jimmy talk like that. It was like Kim was her scared 13-year-old self again. Jimmy as Gene was a complete 180 from the Jimmy in the Better Call Saul timeline. That's why I was happy Kim did the opposite of Jimmy and took responsibility for her crimes. She made zero excuses to Cheryl, didn't bring up Howard's pretentious mannerisms and his passive-aggressive nature as her motivation to con Howard. Howard was flawed, but he was a nice guy who genuinely wanted to do good, and he didn't deserve to be conned, slandered, or killed. Um, uh, I'm not going to make too big an argument here. I I didn't think Howard was always all that great, but I agree he didn't deserve to be con, slandered, or killed. Uh, <laughs> I hope Kim can maybe heal. slandered. Yeah, maybe slandered a little bit, a little, um, a little bit. I hope Kim can heal in ways Jimmy has failed to do and move on from her past. And please, Kim, don't marry that guy who says "yep" all the time. <laughs> you can do better than that. Please break up with him. Rima Joe, any ideas on the right guy or type of guy for Kim at this point in the story? <laughs> Rima Joe. Uh I'll I'll think about it and get back. <laughs> All right. We'll find someone for Kim. P.S. I would Jesse. never no, just kidding. Yeah, I would never <laughs> have predicted Kim would meet Jesse. That was the most unpredictable and interesting pairing for a scene in this entire show. <laughs> Daphne Beckman says, Hello, Podcastica. I think this is the first time that I have sent something in for Better Call Saul, but after this episode, I feel compelled. Also, because I haven't seen Breaking Bad, I can't listen to the Better Call Saul podcast yet. I'm glad I already knew the fates of Gus and Mike before watching last night's episode. She was the other one I couldn't think of when I was trying to think of the two. It was Steve and Daphne who hadn't seen it. Okay, right. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Um, She goes on. While this episode... Uh, featured both Kim and Jimmy. The scenes with Kim were why Ray Seahorn should win the Emmy this year. No offense to Christina Ritchie. Um, it's long overdue. Getting to see Kim's new uh, life now was pretty sad. I don't think she's truly happy, but I think living with the guilt of everything has broken her down. When she was driving to the meeting that Clifford Maine invited her to, if she had just kept driving and not returned at the last minute to fix issues around the plot to discredit and terrorize Howard... Her life would be so different now. Yeah. Watching her step off the elevator it's all her fault. and see <laughs> <laughs> watching her step off the elevator and see an attorney acting with a client how she once acted and then realizing where she is now was heartbreaking. Her scenes being honest um with Howard's widow seemed uh, so honest. I feel like the past few episodes have taken us away from the Jimmy we connected with in the earlier seasons. I feel bad when Chuck bullied him, especially when Jimmy worked so hard to impress him. The Jimmy who, uh, when this chips are down, fought back to build a life for himself. The whole Howard debacle and murder changed his life forever. He lost Kim, which I think was his last piece of conscience. It's been a treat to have Carol Burnett on this season. She's a national treasure, and I loved how Marion stood up to Jimmy. Although I became scared for her life. I'm glad Jimmy didn't cross that line. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it all ends for him. And then I'm starting Breaking Bad. (laughs) Nice. It's so interesting how this series came about because they needed a sleazy lawyer on Breaking Bad to help Walt and Jesse go to the next level. And, uh, you know, Bob Odenkirk played characters kind of like that in um, Mr. Show. And then they he became a fan favorite. So they decided to make a series about him and they 
but it had to be a tragedy. When he becomes this asshole, that's when the show's a tragedy. And let's make him somebody else to start. And uh, But then it's just so fascinating to think of somebody who hasn't seen Breaking Bad and then to see him become this character and be like, oh my God, I hate him now. It's just so interesting how things pan out that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gary J. Hewitt says, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> wow, I really didn't expect that phone car. I'll never hear that word the same again. Uh, wow, I really didn't expect that phone conversation to go down that way. But Jimmy did have a point. There is blood on Kim's hands as well. When Kim went to confess to Howard's wife, I don't know why, but I totally was expecting Jesse to show up, maybe because I saw the sign for Alaska. Then, boom, he shows up. It was also interesting that in this one episode, both Kim and Saul have given up their freedom through self-sabotage. Saul by going back to his scamming days and breaking and entering, and Kim through her written confession. I don't know if she gave up her freedom, though. We'll see. Also, I noticed that the subtitles on Netflix switch between calling our protagonist either Jimmy, Saul, Gene, depending on where we are in the timeline, but also when Kim answered the phone to him, subtitles went back to calling him Jimmy which means the subtitles will match what alias other characters know him as. Interesting. One more episode Hmm. to go, he says. Yeah, I don't know what to call him half the time either. I I, I tend to stick to Jimmy, but sometimes it's just not Jimmy. It doesn't seem like Jimmy at all. So it's interesting. Yeah, I find myself doing the same. A couple of calls here. One from Steve Brown. All right, House Podcastica, here we go. Second to last episode of Better Call Saul. Oh, that's a different diploma, right? Because wouldn't his original one have said Jimmy McGill? Oh, divorce papers from Kim. Aw. Hey, Kim, cutting potatoes in the black and white era. We're going to get to see the conversation from her side this time instead of Jean's side. And oh my God, Kim, most boring life ever. But I, but I guess after Jimmy, that's probably what she needed or saw. Are we not going to get to, to hear her side? We're just going to see the same thing as like Jimmy with a tantrum against the, uh, maybe we are. Okay. Well, at least she's glad he's alive. Did she fly to Albuquerque from Florida via Alaska? And now she's giving her confession to the prosecutors or this is, this is Howard's wife, right? Yeah. Okay. So now we're back to Gene, Saul, Jimmy, Victor. Why are you going up the stairs and now the guy's starting to wake up? (laughs) Seriously, they just happen to stop to eat behind the cab that's parked out beside the house that's being burgled. (laughs) Well, so now that explains why he has so much money, because she didn't take any of the sandpiper money, and she told him she was going to Florida. Is that Jesse bumming a smoke off of her? I don't know anything about uh, bail bondsmen and stuff like that, so I don't know if it's true in Omaha. Oh, you called it. Carol Burnett's the one who's going to figure out that he's Saul Goodman. Well, so we're set up for the last episode. Saul's on the run. Talk to you later. Yeah, Saul's on the run. Um, do you think Jimmy got all the got Kim's share of the Sandpiper money? I think he would have gotten a I portion mean, of it because well, if she didn't take it, it would increase the size of the pool for everyone. Oh. So whatever his percentage is, I think he got that a little bit more. Yeah, that that makes sense. But what part of that money, I mean, he he got that because it was like a finder's fee for him when 
but it was still a percentage and, of the total. Right, but he he it was technically his, wasn't it? Wouldn't it have just been um, hers because they were married and they would have had to like split it as an asset or something. Um, I mean, she was going to get her own part, but yeah, if he got a set percentage of the total, then I don't know if her. So what you're saying, Remus, she didn't have her own share. She only had a share because she owned half of his asset. I don't, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember her actually getting. I didn't even realize she was getting anything until this episode, to be honest. I mean, I think that she was getting when they kept talking about getting the sandpiper money is because they're married. You know, if 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 Jimmy got the sandpiper money, yeah, they're married, so it's co assets or whatever. But but I think it was because she worked on it. I thought she had worked on the case too, but you might be right. Maybe that doesn't mean she has a piece of it. Yeah, not sure. Okay, we got one more call, and it's from our good friend Claire. Yay! Hey, Jason, Rima, and David, it's Claire calling to leave feedback for Better Call Saul. Wow. This was one of my favorite episodes, I think, of the season. It was so good to see uh, Kim again. Uh, uh, the joy to in seeing her was short-lived, though, when we see uh, just where exactly she is in her life. And that was, that was bleak, seeing her existence. She's really never moved on from where she was with Jimmy and... Um, I really miss that swinging blonde ponytail and those sharp suits Mm -hmm. that she wore so well. Um, I I was really proud of her for taking accountability for what her and Jimmy had done to Howard. Uh, The scene with uh, Howard's wife was, was really emotional and shocking. And I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. If there's, if Kim's going to face consequences, um, for that, uh, I definitely want to see Jimmy take accountability or be held accountable for everything he's done. And I'm a little embarrassed that I was ever rooting for him because, wow, he is just, he was so despicable. He's been so despicable as Gene Takovic. He has learned nothing. And, um, yeah, I, I can't believe that I was <laughs> ever on his side and hoping that he could get away with it. He is just, uh, He's the worst. He's really the worst right now. So I am excited at the prospect of seeing him behind bars. I don't think he's going to die. I don't want him to die. I want to see him behind bars uh, being who he is in prison. (laughs) And, uh, you know, no one has ever really faced some serious jail time in this universe. And so I'm hoping that, uh, that Jimmy will be the one that is that that sees the a prison cell and this confirmed to me this episode confirmed to me obviously and probably to you too that we're not going to see a happy ending for him and kim Uh, there's they're, they're just there's no room no place for him in her life they're the sharp contrast but seeing them both you know kim is remorseful and trying to be better and uh, Jimmy is just shameless in just, oh, he's just, he's just the worst. <laughs> he, and, and I, 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 I'm glad that we saw that conversation. I'm glad we got the opportunity to see just how selfish he is, how selfish he's always been. And, um, I'm 
rooting for Marion. I was so glad that she uh, said the the name Saul Goodman and called the police. And uh, wow, uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm so excited for next week's episode. Uh, uh, one other thing I was uh, almost brought me to tears seeing Jesse and Kim on screen together because I can't think of two characters um, from the shows that we've been rooting for more. And so I'm all team Kim, team Marion. Uh, thumbs down to Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman, Gene Takovic. They're all awful people. Um, the podcast last week was great too. I really appreciated all the symmetry that you uh, highlighted between Walt and uh, Jimmy and their different characters and how they have each uh, break bad in, in their own uh, worlds. So great job on that. Looking forward to another great podcast. So God bless. And don't forget to check the batteries on your life alert. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was a powerful message. Yeah. Gosh, I could feel the emotion there, Claire. I'm there with you. I mean, I, I, it made me think maybe I, and I hate to even say this in case it does happen, but um, maybe he'll go to jail and then they'll, flash forward to when he gets out you know and he's actually bob odenkirk's age (laughs) and uh we'll see if he's changed at all because i think um you know not everyone deserves redemption but if he does turn around and decide he wants to try then i will root for him for sure but he does deserve some consequences for his actions All right, that is our show. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We are almost done with this, and that'll be a sad day, but we have one more week left. Don't leave us yet. (laughs) If you want to write in or leave us a message, you can find all our contact information at podcastica.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our other shows. Or you can Google con man albuquerque (laughs) um (laughs) yeah we're getting ready to shift into high gear here uh lock and key just came out on netflix the third and final season and rima and i will be recording on that with Paik this saturday the first episode and uh you could go to the strange indeed facebook page to make comments on that i'll put a link for that in the show notes too what is it What's the URL for that? Facebook.com slash stranger. Stranger T-Cast? Yeah, add, I'll put it in the show notes. If it's not in front of me, I'm going to sure. forget. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we'll be, you know, covering, we're supposed to be covering House of the Dragon and uh, She-Hulk's coming soon. So a bunch of stuff. Keep I'm excited about House of the Dragon. Um, Are you? I am. Yeah. I'm not expecting it to be game of thrones that's a one-time thing sort of like when better call Saul came out like it it's not going to be breaking bad it's its own thing but it's its own thing but right. I, I do think it's exciting i think it has potential to be a lot of fun and mm-hmm. there was a big media event where they got to see the first episode and there's been some good buzz coming out of that oh that's good to hear yeah i'm very excited i'm reading the book and in, in that section right now and uh i i can't wait to see what what how they how they do it Um, are there some dragons in it there's gonna be so many dragons (laughs) 
I mean, it's a good and bad thing, and I won't talk about it because it, but I think there's going to be so yeah. many dragons. So well, I am, because yeah. I identify as a Targaryen, so <laughs> I am, I am, I can't wait. I, I'm, I'm gonna have the best time. Cool. You're not blonde of hair though. I do not. I'm. I, I think I'm one of the darker. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Jon Snow. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Spoilers. well uh, next up for us um, we'll be covering Better Call Saul season 6 episode 13 titled Saul Gone Saul Gone man (laughs) I know isn't that that's what I thought too I saw that instead of Saul Good man Saul Gone Saul Gone Oh, oh God! I'm perfect. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> That's a great title for the last Breaking Bad Universe episode, too. If it, it ends is. up being that. <laughs> All right, that is our show. Thanks for listening. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.